to face, hand to hand, film to film. Go. Welcome to the Film to Film podcast. Today we are back on Italian week uh, for uh, another Italian crime film, Poliziotteschi. Uh, this is Almost Human uh, in 1974. Uh, Iñaki, uh, so you, this is your first time seeing this film. Um, what was your initial impression of it? You know, it, it, it's uh, this one was kind of interesting. Um, I I thought it was fairly good. I actually enjoyed the enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Uh, not my favorite out of the ones. Definitely do not agree with whatever message that might be behind it. Uh huh. But uh, overall, I thought uh, this was a pretty good movie and. I actually really liked. I prefer the re, the original title over the uh, English title, but yeah, pretty good uh-huh. overall. Yeah, the original title is Milano odia la polizia non può può sporare. Wow, I cannot speak. Well, I obviously can't speak Italian, which is Milan hates the police can't shoot. Right, which one hundred percent like that's the plot of the movie. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so, real quickly, here is the one-sentence synopsis uh, that I got from Wikipedia. Let me know what you think of this one. Uh, Desperation drives a tough Italian detective outside the law in an effort to stop a homicidal maniac. Uh, that is a summary. Yeah. It's... it's uh... I don't think it's a good summary. I, I think it's. I mean, it, I think it's accurate, but very incomplete. Uh, yes, I completely agree. I think this is a terrible summary, to be honest. Uh, I, I saw that and I laughed. I was like, I got to put this in just because to show that these summaries, which have usually been pretty good up to this point, uh, are not very good. Um, not only does it not even focus on the main character, uh, but. Uh, it's just not very accurate. All right, so here's the second summary I found from Letterbox D, which I think is a little bit better, but also not necessarily great. Um, a psychotic small-time criminal realizes that the everyday robberies, rapes, and murders he commits aren't profitable enough, so he figures to hit the big time by kidnapping the daughter of a rich man. Yeah, it's it's better. It definitely yeah. encapsulates closer to what this movie is about I, I, I still think it's I agree with you it's still incomplete yeah it's like 80% there it's like but any any description that says the everyday robberies rapes and murders he commits yeah we, wow. we don't we don't know if the guy was that horrible before the movie starts actually yeah yeah, I mean, there's kind of a, a feeling that you get that this is like his first major wave into sort of the big leagues of crime. Of crime. Um, certainly his first big uh, crime. And probably, I mean, the impression I got was that the policeman he kills in the first few minutes is the first murder he commits. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I'm sure he's done some robberies. So everyday robberies is probably accurate. But we don't know that he has... Uh, we ha- we haven't seen the rape part either, and I don't want to speculate too much into his sexual past because he's kind of a um, <laughs> n- not the uh, not not a <laughs> he's he's kind of a gross figure. 
uh, just the lead character in this. Um, yeah. So the per- and I think that's what also what makes this film unique. I, I think uh, this film, I'm glad that you in, found some stuff to like about it. I was a little bit worried about this film. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. So the perception of it, it grossed 1.168 billion lira. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was, became particularly notorious and famous for the chandelier scene. Um, which is creative and fucked up. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Quick question, James. Yeah. Why did you pick this movie? Uh, let me get to that. One second. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, the chandelier scene was famous. It was panned as being fascist and reactionary. Fair. Fair. Uh, um, so why did I pick this movie? Well, you know, uh, to our listeners out there, all all 12 of you or 10 of you or maybe 100 of you at this point um Inyaki and I have known each other for a long time uh we have a history of watching a lot of films together and but you know I watch films with other people too but sometimes there comes along a movie that you can't show it to anyone and in those cases there's only one person that I will call and that is uh my good friend Inyaki <laughs> and ah, I I'm see. like ah this film is so messed up I don't even know if our friend Jeffrey's gonna like it. I'll I'll, I'll see. I'll ask Inyaki and say I've got a fucked up movie to watch. Is he in? And about ninety nine point nine percent of the time, Inyaki is ready to go, um, and in for watching it. So that's one of the reasons I picked this. I think I think it also just stands out as far as the Polizioteschi film. I think it's pretty different than the first four films we watched. Um, it focuses a lot on just sort of this uh, really uh, kind of despicable person, um, probably the least, uh, probably the worst human being protagonist that we have. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so that's kind of why I picked it. Did you uh, catch all that? Caught some of that, uh, but uh, but I caught, I got I think I caught most of what you said, um, and yeah, no, I, I, I agree. To be honest, when so this movie is fucked up. I will certainly agree with that. But I actually put it around a similar level as A Clockwork Orange. Okay. Uh, a Clockwork Orange is pretty messed up. Um, certainly not the most messed up film we watched together. I was going to ask you later to, to sort of grade it on a scale 1 to 10, where 10 would be... Whew, yeah. What no, would you say a 10 is? Like, like, uh, Visitor Q, Visitor Q, or uh, what was that? A samurai movie, Bohachi Bushido. Is that the one where, yeah, yeah, I I am pretty sure that's the one that disturbed you the most. I I have distinct memories of you being put off by that film, yeah. So, I mean, like, Visitor Q or that one, those probably would fall in that category, um, probably. Ebola syndrome uh, yeah. falls within Ebola that area Ebola syndrome's too. definitely above this. I feel like in the fucked up scale. Uh, I I put this one. I really put this one uh, in the a cloak. Actually, I put this one a little bit less fucked up than a clockwork orange. Okay. So I I would say like maybe a seven. Okay, that's about where I'd go too. Um, I don't know if you've seen Last House on the Left, but I'd probably put this in sort of a similar um, range as that film. Okay. 
Yeah, that that makes sense. I, I actually haven't seen it, but I, oh, I'm serving myself some water. <laughs> I actually haven't seen it, but um, I, yeah. I know it's a classic, uh, and yeah, I'm probably that yeah, might be that too. I mean, yeah. uh, this this movie was directed by one uh, by one of the directors who was known for Holocaust. I mean, uh, cannibal Holocaust genre ish movies, correct? Yeah, so uh, just about to get into that. Uh, so this was directed by a director named Umberto Lindsay, um, mm -hmm. who is an Italian film director. He worked in a lot of different genres. He kind of balanced genre to genre. Um, he started out in sort of the sword and sandals uh, Italian films, then went over to giallo films, uh, sort of like horror mystery ones. Mm -hmm. And this is his first, uh, or his second actually, Poliziotesky. He did uh, a bunch of these, probably around 10. Um, and then he ended up, uh, he is sometimes credited as sort of the creator of the Italian cannibal genre, which for those unfamiliar is sort of these films where uh, people um, based in the West will go out to the jungle and uh, encounter cannibals. Um, and probably the film he's most well known for, um, as you said earlier, is Cannibal Ferox, which is um, the second most famous cannibal film, uh, Italian cannibal film behind Cannibal Holocaust. Um, bunch of notorious scenes there. And okay. uh, knowing that background and stuff, I think it's probably a little bit unsurprising that uh, he's uh, very willing to go into sort of these more exploitation elements than maybe the first uh, four films that we saw. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, so, yeah, that. I guess the reason I didn't find this uh, so messed up, and uh, for example, why, why I would put you know Clockwork Orange uh, at a more messed up level, is because yes, it has a very shocking scene, uh, but the shocking scene is to actually show you how evil and irredeemable uh, the main character is. Like he is no hero. He's no. He's not not a, a character to look up to in any way, shape, or form. I mean, in the movie, you are rooting for him to get caught for his plan to fail. Uh, so you know, when when he does that, it, it furthers that that idea. So it definitely judges in a very negative way what's happening, and uh, and you know, and. And I don't know, it made me think the, the, the Chandelier scene, which I know we're going to get into more detail later, but that made, that scene reminded me of, uh, I'm singing in the rain scene of A Clockwork oh, Orange. okay. Yeah. Uh, however, in A Clockwork Orange, the, the, the main guy, though evil, actually sort of portrayed as, you know, an, an anti-hero almost, right? Uh, you're in his head, he's kind of the rebel. And, and, you're, it's, it's uh, that scene is almost played for laugh, almost. I mean, I, it's still highly violent and all that. While in this one, the that scene is not played for laugh at all. Laugh at all. It's really played for you know this guy is disgusting, and I, I, and to me that makes it so the context makes this movie better than a Clockwork Orange. I mean, not not better, but I'm saying less messed up than a Clockwork Orange. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think Clockwork Orange compared to this film 
probably has a little bit of a deeper, well, maybe a lot of a deeper message than, than this one, which is more just going along of uh, crime and inequality are, are bad, uh, and sort of writing those themes um, all the way through, whereas Kubrick is more of a, I don't know, I mean, he's seen as more of an intellectual filmmaker, I'm sure, 100% than Umberto Lenti. Oh, yeah. Pro- um, yeah. Uh, I mean, but but I mean, Kubrick's. But yes, but I'm saying like I, I think as a, as an uh, as a viewer that uh, I'm referring more on the on the impact as a viewer, mm-hmm. as opposed to what uh, you know, the auteur intent was. You know. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Well, it sounds like we rank it pretty similarly as far as just being messed up. All right. So. <laughs> Sort of the uh, longer synopsis of this is we start out, um, we learn a little bit about Julio Saki, uh, who is uh, our lead character. Uh, and then eventually he hatches this plan to kidnap um, a rich uh, guy, rich businessman's daughter. Um, he does that. Uh, he does the kidnapping and, and the most notorious scene happens. He ends up killing uh, just about everyone. Uh, his kidnapping works uh he gets everything and then he kills everyone again um then he gets away and the film concludes with um the inspector becoming a vigilante and sort of like dirty harry style uh killing him mm-hmm. uh so that, that's kind of the just the basics of the plot um i think probably the thing that we got to dive into first um because i think it's a huge uh part of just the film um, and for me, I think it is kind of what makes the film is the lead uh, performance uh, by T- T- Tomas Millian, uh, who is actually a Cuban actor, Cuban-American actor, um, mm. who started acting in New York, ended up coming over to Italy to star in Spaghetti Westerns. He ended up playing like a lot of uh, Mexican revolutionaries. Definitely a really popular actor, star in Italy um, for about um, probably a little bit over a decade and then ended up starring in a bunch of these Politioteskis. Um, he is not strictly a bad guy in his roles. He usually plays a mix of good and bad, so he's one of those characters that you see him in the film and you're not sure if he's going to be good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this role is definitely um, at his most um, sort of deranged. Um, what, what, what did you make of uh, Tomas uh, Millian's performance? I actually really liked it uh, because... And and, why, and probably the, one of the reasons why I, I, I do disagree with the, the second summary you gave me, like when you when you're first introduced to his character, uh, he actually seems like a very vul- vulnerable guy. Like the the way he portrays the uh, you know Julio, uh, Julio Sa- Saki, mm-hmm. uh, he, he, he is. You see, he's afraid. I mean, there's a kid saying, "Hey, what make of car? Uh, what, what's what's the make of your car?" And he's like, "Run, run along, get, get out of here, kids! You know, this place is dangerous." And like, he seems like a very gentle individual uh, until he cop- kills the kills the first cop. But even then, like from his expression and everything, he he actually portrays you know a very vulnerable and like almost a good guy. And I. And from there to basically the monster that he is later, I think the actor did a really good job of portraying sort of a transformation, like a day and day, almost a day night transformation of, of, of his character. 
Right. I think it's quite interesting, too. Uh, I think he gives a really good physical performance. I feel like he's constantly just sweaty. Um, he, like, the I, the car scene I always remember is where uh, they start the kidnapping. He just sort of, like, after taking some drugs, presses his uh, face against the window and goes, Mary Lou! Um, and uh, mm-hmm. before they eventually end up killing her boyfriend and, uh, and doing it. Um, so... Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Lindsay talked about Million. Uh, he ended up directing him in seven or eight films after this. This is their first collaboration together. He mm. had a lot of really nice things to say about him, um, just about him being like a really good actor. He had a lot of good ideas. And then about a sentence later, said that uh, Million, especially in this movie, did a ton of cocaine and vodka. Um, so, uh, you know. Uh, it looks it, like it. It works, yeah. I mean, like, the guy, he just, like, gives this unhinged, deranged performance. I think it's just really, really effective and really good. Uh, Million, for me, I've seen him in a lot of films. Uh, he's known to be kind of an over-actor. For me, sometimes he's a little hit or miss. To me, this this is, like, just a 100% hit um, as far as Million goes. Uh, one thing, one scene I wanted to bring up, too, is just that first car scene that we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know sort of how uh, a lot of these films like Drive or um, The Driver um, uh, or, or like these action films or even ones where the person is playing a getaway driver and the initial scene will kind of establish how good they are at their job. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this film, it's almost the exact opposite. Uh, Million or, or Julio Sacchi in, this, in the opening just totally fucks up. I mean, like, everything goes wrong. He yeah. kills a cop. He's supposed to be the getaway driver, but he doesn't end up driving. They just push him out of the way and take over. Um, and then he gets... And, and eventually it ends with him getting pushed out of the car and getting beat up and stuff. And I think it's just a really interesting and cool way of just sort of inverting sort of what we expect uh, in these films. Because the Italian audience at the time would tune in, they'd see him, and they may think he's going to play... Um, sort of the hero or anti-hero in the film and just be really good uh, just because we so many films focus on people that are just very very good at what they do Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not like Julio Saki is just a complete idiot but it sort of shows him at his uh, at his least competent in a way yeah I agree I mean what one thing this movie that this movie establishes on the character himself uh, is He's a coward. I mean, he does crazy stuff, but at the end of the day, he's a coward. And, 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 and he hates being called a coward, but that's what he is. That's why he kills everyone. Um, which I, I actually find interesting. And the very first scene, he kind of sh- shows that. And that's why everything gets messed up at the end. It's because he kills a cop, because he's too scared. Yeah, how do you how do you see his? So you you see it as sort of uh, cowardice. Uh, how in, that's interesting. How, how do you see that sort of like throughout the film? Um, well, I mean, I mean they they, they like tell this. they even tell him that. Like, okay. So when, when they're beating him up, they're like, what? They they're beating him up because it's a, they're like, why did you kill a cop? You ruined the entire plan. We uh, we almost kill all those innocent idiots, which is kind of funny. But, but, you know, they're, they're, they're beating the shit out of him because basically he was too much of a coward to, he was like, 
if, if he's gonna arrest you, he arrests you. But like, you don't kill him. But he saw me. It doesn't matter. Like that that ruined our plan, and that's because you are a coward. Then later on, uh, you know, like every time that there is a possibility of him getting caught, his choice is only one: kill that person that saw him. Uh, I mean, even at the end when he kills uh, the kidnappee or uh, uh, what's her name. Um, uh, Mary Lou. When oh, yeah, he, yeah. When he kills Mary Lou, like, he, he says, like, oh, you must think I'm, um, like, a monster or something, or, like, you know, some, like, scoundrel and, and something like that. And she's like, no, I think you're, you're a coward piece of shit. And yeah, then he yeah. kills her. And, and that's, I, I, I think that's the overall, I mean, his character theme is he's a coward and he hates being called that. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. Uh, I think uh, I think you nailed it. Um, he's not someone. This is not like a story of like a rags to riches to the top of the criminal underworld. This is a guy that just like uh, takes advantage of people and punches down, uh, so to speak. It's like the two criminals he ends up collaborating with. I feel like they end up collaborating with him just because they're really low level petty criminals and they just don't know better. Um, yeah, they don't know that they shouldn't trust this guy. Like the real professional criminals, the guys that sort of don the masks and uh, do that robbery at the uh, at the beginning, those guys are never going to work with him. Never after that first incident, they're not going to work with this guy again. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny that the other two criminals are like straight up uh, cigarette smugglers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You cannot even get, like, someone who sells, like, real drugs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is literally the only people that would work with him um, for it. And he just sort of, it's like, and he sort of rope-a-dopes them in, too. It's like, he doesn't tell them that we're going to kill, like, ten people um, and and t in order to pull off the spot. Uh, he just sort of does that stuff, and they ha they're forced, basically, to go along with it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, so uh, let's see. What else is there with this film? Um, I think the uh, the politics of it are also interesting. And uh, this is um, my... I've watched this film a couple times. Um, and this is something that I took note of, I think, more uh, the second and third time. Uh, just after uh, sort of the uh, initial watch, I feel like you're just really struck by, by some of the violence and the... the portrayal by a million um but uh one thing that you sort of is going on in the background is there's constant references to inequality and class dynamics there's one kind of funny moment uh right before they uh end up kidnapping mary lou where uh he gives um drugs to one of his uh partners in crime um and says this is something uh mm -hmm. invented by college people uh so those of, those of us that don't go to college uh uh, don't need to go to college or something like that. And I have no idea what drug that is. Um, maybe some variant of, uh, of an upper, uh, but, uh, but I think it's interesting. And there's constant references to how he doesn't have a job and how he's struggling. Uh, so yeah, did you, uh, did you pick up on those things as well? I, I did, but I mean, so this, yeah, this is kind of a, a weird movie because, uh, it being called fascist and reactionary, which is which I know we probably will touch upon in more detail later. I think it's sort of 
makes sense, uh, that criticism, sort of, in the sense that, like, yes, it touches on, on inequality, but it, it really, the only person who really brings up inequality is Julio. Like, no one else is really talking about it. It's really just him. He's the one hmm. who is like, we didn't go to college, but we're going to do this college drug. Uh, you know, I, I was brought, nowhere, brought up nowhere, blah, blah. And, and, when in, and when, you know, like, for example, his girlfriend, when she's like, why don't you just get a job? And he's like, working now, like working every day from, uh, you know, nine to five. That's not for me. So it, it, it's almost a portrayal of the, uh, the, the victimhood. I mean, the person who just acts as a victim uh, because they were born poor instead of, you know, picking themselves up by the, 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 you know, the bootstrap. Um, wow, you sound like a, a Republican right there. No, I'm saying, no, that, that's what kind of like, <laughs> well, no, that, that's, a, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just joshing you. Well, no, that's, a, that's the whole point. Like I, 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 I think that's how the movie is portraying him. I think yeah, yeah. The, the movie is not making a criticism of inequality. I mean, the only, uh, the only person, the most despicable person is the only one who talks about inequality. No one else, like everyone else has some sort of job even if it's a petty job they have some sort of job like you know the the cigarette ha like sellers they were fine before this this uh hit uh the other criminals they were fine everyone is fine except for him he's the only one who hmm. who is the victim but i mean it's a it's almost a self uh fulfilling prophecy that he created upon himself and i mean i i so going back, going into the whole whether or not there's a fascist message here, I think maybe, I don't know if would call that part fascist, but definitely would call it, you know, very right-wing message. Uh, subtly oh, placed yeah. in... The in, fact that the only person decrying inequality is, is a, a shit full of drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's fair. I, you know, I actually hadn't considered that... that just about every uh, reference to inequality does come from um, the protagonist slash most despicable character in the film. Um, so, okay, good point. Uh, let's let's talk a bit more um, about the politics of the film. So, uh, it, the film definitely one of the big things I think it talks about, and the inspector, uh, who we can also talk about here, Inspector Grandy, played by mm -hmm. Henry Silva. Um, kind of complains about is just that they uh, aren't able to be effective at their job um, and uh, and basically are like eventually they arrest him but they can't charge him so he ends up actually getting away with the crimes before Henry Silva becomes a vigilante mm -hmm. uh, what what did you make of that I think that's probably the probably the most uh, fascist part of the <laughs> film it is. It is. Uh, I, I mean, I, I I figured that's where you were going originally when you mentioned that this was fascist, and then when people say that this is fascist, yeah, no, I, I, think, I, I think that's probably it. It's yeah. funny because, like, again, like I, I I think the director definitely has had an agenda saying, you know, like, oh, crime is is um, it, 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 yeah, yeah, the, the the violent crime is basically the symptom of this ineffective policing 
However, the movie does. There's one quote of the movie that actually made me think maybe this director is trying to be a little bit more nuanced than that. And that was with uh, right after they they're talking with the judge. Uh, you know when the judge says like, all you have right here are are basically you know circumstantial evidence, but like you don't have enough to make a, con a full connection, right? <laughs> to to imprison someone for life, and and to be honest, I mean, I I, I think the judge is right. Like the all the stuff that he's mentioning is like I mean, you you can definitely prosecute someone and, and convict someone with circumstantial evidence, but they didn't even have like enough circumstantial evidence to do that in in in, in this movie. Like, and I, I think that that is correct, and. One person literally like tells uh, the detective, "Is like, hey, you know, he's just doing his job," and the detective says, "Like, yeah, and we failed at ours," and that quote to me was uh, telling in the sense that you could say, "Sure, it's because the cops cannot shoot that shoot at the bad guys, the reason why they failed at their job," or it could be because the cops did a shit job. Period. You know, like the, the investigation literally was, uh, yeah, sure, it was following leads, but like, even even at the time when the, the the detective you know shoots him at the end, right? He's talking to a bunch of people who already know the detective will shoot him, right? They all walked away to allow the detective to shoot him. Hey, those could have been undercover cops. Like straight up, those could have been undercover cops. He is literally confessing to them that he's done all these crimes. That would have been a report of a full confession right there. And that could have gotten into in jail for life. But the cop hmm. chose to shoot him. So I, I actually don't like and again I, I'm not sure what was the intent of the director with all of, all of that. But may, like one one reading could be all right. Sh cops should be allowed to shoot whoever the fuck they want, <laughs> or another reading could be the detective detectives could do, could could do a lot better of a job on you know uncovering and and trying to put someone in in jail. Like I don't know how the Italian legal system of nineteen seventies was, obviously, uh, but I mean normally on a criminal investigation. That can take a year to uncover all those things. Uh, why right. didn't they do that? Like, why are they like right after the crime happened? They are trying to prosecute him <laughs> uh, to you know get the highest penalty un in the, under the law. Like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Right. No, I mean, this is you know I suspect that the director sees himself as just an entertainer. Uh, that that'd be my guess. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, let's talk about a bit of the inspector. I thought it, I also noticed, uh, that in scene too, where they're sort of discussing the prosecution and why they can't do it. Um, and it's kind of amusing to me that inspector Grandy seems genuinely surprised that they can't do anything. Um, because it seems like he just doesn't understand how evidence, how much evidence, how evidence works. <laughs> yeah. Because he really doesn't have anything on him. Um, they can't, <laughs> they just have a bunch of like circumstantial stuff. 
Uh, so the the judge is like, "What the fuck? We can't we can't do this." And so it's very amusing to me to just see uh, uh, Grandy, who just looks angry as hell, uh, but just doesn't doesn't seem to understand how it works. So I thought that was funny. Um, right. Uh, but yeah. by the way, I do want to make make it clear: you could actually prosecute someone under circumstantial evidence. It is possible, and in fact, uh-huh. it, it most most high crimes the evidence is going to be circumstantial however he didn't even have enough for that yeah i mean like <laughs> like he judge... literally had like some logical connections but he didn't have enough to you know like yeah you don't yeah. need a video of him but you <laughs> know like maybe have someone say hey we saw him with her you know uh we saw him at the at the docks something like that or help again do what happened right after but instead of shooting him use all those testimonies that he gave to this uh to you know these other folks use that as evidence because that's straight up confession right there well you know i think inspector grandy was too busy staring at at people he didn't like uh (laughs) to be what he does the entire film uh, so, Inspector Grandy was played by Henry Silva, who was one of the hitmen in um, Italian Connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like he is a very one-note actor, um, and so he's not, like, this portrayal of a police inspector, he doesn't, it's not the most interesting. He's kind of just like a dirty, hairy-style cop mm-hmm. uh, that looks even more angry than Dirty Harry. But uh, the one scene that I think he does really stand out is I think he's really well suited for the end vigilante scene where he just like stares at uh, Saki with complete contempt and shoots him. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd say uh, not not the most interesting portrayal, but I, th- I think it does well for there. Uh, there's one part uh, where Saki comes in, um, and I thought this is an interesting scene too, where he shows up at the police station to sort of report his girlfriend missing. And then he like asks uh, Grandy if his girlfriend is dead, and Grandy just like stares back, ice cold stare. He's like, "Yeah, she died in the lake in the car." And I'm just like, "Wow, this guy just has zero empathy at all. This would not be anyone's favorite police officer." Um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, did you have any thoughts on Grandy slash Henry Silva who played Grandy? I I actually thought he was pretty good for the role. Um, mm-hmm. uh, not a likable guy, uh, but technically the hero of our movie. <laughs> um, yeah. he gets the bad guy. Yeah, he kills the bad guy. Um, I, I actually like the, uh, that, that, that scene where he, the, uh, where, um, <clears throat> where Julio is is doing the report of his missing girlfriend. Uh, I did I thought, too. I thought that yeah. was a good scene. That was a, 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 a probably a, a, the best way of showing, you know, their their the, how com like how Silva basically just hated this guy already. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it turns out his instincts were correct, but, like, uh, as is determined later on, he didn't exactly have a ton of evidence to go on. Well, and also, he didn't do a good job. 
Like no, he was quite bad at his job. Yeah, because even then, like he could have been more empathetic, and maybe tried to get him to say a bunch of like more information to a point where he can start finding real inconsistencies in the story. So then he could at least get him on the murder of his girlfriend. Right. I mean, that seems like it would be the easiest one to tie him down, considering he's known to steal the car. That's easy mm-hmm. to prove. Um, and uh, you can obviously... Uh, he's a known associate of his girlfriend, obviously. So uh, that yeah. seems like uh, uh, one of those. Um, all right. Well, l- last couple notes on this. Uh, random question. Uh, do you think that someone could trick Trump into posting a clip of this film if you told him it was the U.S.? To, to just rile up uh, race relations and run on his law and order message? Do you think someone could trick him into doing that? Um, <sighs> there, this is more deliberation than I expected. <laughs> well, I, I just, I'm not sure what scene you could use. Uh, what about him murdering his girlfriend and tell him that's in, uh, that's like the Great Lakes. Tell him that it's in Michigan. It's going to appeal to a bunch of uh, suburban white woman voters. And this is like your, uh, your Mexican immigrant coming to kill you all. <laughs> I, 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 don't think he, I, I don't think he looks Mexican enough for that. And by that, I mean like so typically Mexican enough. Okay. Uh, Did you think he was a <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I... I yeah. No, I don't think he would buy any of that, any of these scenes. Okay. That's happening in right. the U.S. How about you? Okay. Well, <laughs> beyond that scene, well, what else? I, I would be highly amused if Trump shared the chandelier scene. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what would happen. Um, all right, and last thing on the politics. So I don't know 100% of this is true. It's listed on Wikipedia. It has a source, but Umberto and Lindsay is apparently an anarchist. Okay. Let me simmer on that for a second, because that to me, I'm sure someone could come up with a, a way that that makes sense, but to me that makes zero sense, <laughs> given this film. Well, I mean, uh, I wouldn't say zero. I mean, if you want to... If you want to go into the whole concept of that uh, the, the idea that his intent was just to entertain people uh-huh um then you know he could be an anarchist and still like make a movie that is highly pro authoritarian uh, authoritarian state right sure sure i mean if he's just going out to entertain uh but i just found it amusing that this film is criti- was universally panned apparently at the time of being a uh fascist and and the director actually says he's an anarchist question mark yeah yeah no it's a it's a good question had you actually read that article no i didn't i I, this is uh definitely some half-assed research (laughs) (laughs) but it's on the internet so it must be true right yeah, uh, no, it's funny because I just opened it. You have to like do the Google Translate though for because it's in Italian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, it's Huffington Post, Italy. <laughs> so I mean, 
Sounds sounds accurate to me. I didn't even know there's a Huffington Post Italy. I think they have, they have it in like every language now. Uh, oh, okay. Maybe 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 not China mainland Chinese, but uh, yeah. Uh, um. So all right. So let's go a little bit back into some other stuff. So let's contrast this a little bit. Uh, so one of the things that I think makes this stands out to me, uh, I've seen a couple comparisons with Last House on the left for this film. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of like your home invasion, uh, fucked up, uh, rape, murder, reve rape, revenge, uh, right. sort of story. Um, one difference that this film does and is it spends just about the entire film with our character. Uh, and a lot of these films that tend to be more fucked up and just focus on like a fucked up individual, to me, uh, they're oftentimes a little bit hit or miss mm -hmm. just because sometimes, uh, it's just a long time to spend with the depraved individual, but somehow for this film, um, I'm kind of okay watching it. To me, it's not too difficult to watch as messed up as Saki's actions are. Mm -hmm. Uh, what was your experience with that? Yeah, I mean, I... I... I didn't think it was extremely hard to watch. Uh, it's it's certainly bloodier than the other movies we've seen. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the the chandelier the chandelier scene is probably the more the most you know like shocking scene and and, and, and it's shocking. Like I'm not gonna say it's it's not. It's it's definitely not a kid. I, it's not a movie I would show it. A child, <laughs> um, um, or you know, it's not a movie I would recommend to everyone. But uh, I, I think that the movie treats. I think the movie treats its characters and the situation with an enough, uh, like, in a mature enough manner, and also. A detached from reality but at the same time detached from reality in a way that you know it's not fully shocking like if it was more realistic if you know if it was more realistic i would say that it would be more shocking more disturbing mm -hmm. if it uh on the other hand if it was glorifying what he's doing as opposed to portraying it as the as a horrible thing it would also be more shocking uh i think in this case it's it sort of it does a good job uh, going through the fine line between it's fake enough for you not to, or st stylized or fake enough for you to, you know, not be fully, not fully connect the, uh, what's happening, but at the same time, it's horrible enough for you to condemn it. And because of that, it, it's just not as shocking. And that's, right. that's a good thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, how would you contrast this versus the other Politiotaskis that we've watched so far? Um, I, I think, I mean, I don't know, I put it probably higher than some of the other ones. Uh, yeah, but, but would you say it's fundamentally different in some ways? Yes, yes, I, the, I, this one... I mean, this one is the first one that actually is not about an anti-hero. Mm -hmm. Like the, this one, the, the main character is not is not an anti-hero. Is he's, he's he's a villain. The villain, <laughs> and 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 you are with the villain, and you know it's a villain, and there's no reason for you to root for him. I mean, I guess I guess people could, but that would be a little bit fucked up. 
I, I would question your judgment if you were rooting for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing that the only reason anyone would root for him is like the, the the film does the thing where we just spend the entire film with this character, so it's almost like you end up sympathizing with him slightly just because of all the time you spend with him. Uh, but I don't know. He's a pretty revolting individual, uh, and it doesn't take much to to see that. Uh, all right, so let's talk about uh, a little bit about um, some of the highlight scenes. Um, for me, I have a couple things highlighted. Uh, I like the opening. I I talked a little bit about earlier about how I like how it subverts sort of that genre norm where mm -hmm. you're, uh, which usually establish like the extreme competence of the protagonist. I think it's also set to some really awesome Ennio Morricone music. Mm -hmm. um, where they're just sort of romping through Milan. For some reason, there's a bunch of cardboard boxes on fire, and they decide <laughs> to just drive through it. Which, you know, I, if I see, if I'm in a chase scene, and uh, I have that same music going, and there's a bunch of cardboard boxes on the side of the road, I'm fucking driving through that shit, too. Uh, the masks are awesome. Um, he kills a couple cops within 15 minutes. Um, so... Uh, uh, for me, the, a lot of these films start with a bang, and, and this one does too for me. Uh, did you have any thoughts on the opening? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think the uh, the skill uh, in the chase scene, I mean, the, the, the drivers were doing a really... The, the, I mean, the, the stunts in general were very, very impressive. Uh, I, I enjoyed seeing that chase scene, I mean, the, those close corners, uh, the how they were beating up all the cars quite a bit. Um, I do think that the uh, cardboard, the burning cardboard boxes were <laughs> silly. Like that's probably the only <laughs> scene where you're like, what, why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit head scratching, but <laughs> you know, I was down for it. I, was like, I don't know why these things on the side of the road are on fire, but fuck it, let's do it, it looks cool. I mean, who knows? Maybe that's a you know, like that's before uh, recycling was the thing. So maybe that's how the people got rid of it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, and I will say that you know, if uh, life ever heads south for both of us and we have to become bank robbers, uh, I will listen to that music and I will buy those masks for us. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Think you can get them on Prime these days, so you know, easy, easy purchase. Mm hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah uh, I really like the opening um, it's kind of a shame that it's the only car chase scene we get in this film but you know it, it's uh, quite enjoyable and it's probably actually the most similar scene we have in this film uh, to some of the other films that we've seen true alright so um, I th oh, yeah no, I agree no no I, I was saying yeah, I agree definitely okay um, all right, so let's talk about the uh, kidnapping uh, slash chandelier scene. Uh, so this is a longer sequence, all right. uh, and it starts with him and uh, Carmine, uh, one of his uh, friends, or one of his uh, partners in crime, uh, doing drugs. What drugs do you think those were? Uh, probably some sort of amphetamines. Okay, yeah, that's probably right. Uh, an amphetamine invented by college kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I mean, the main character is kind of an idiot, so probably it was not invented <laughs> by college kids, but used by college kids. But I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, then it starts with him sort of pressing his face against the window. 
uh, the uh, they end up killing the boyfriend. The girl escapes to a house. Um, I also like how there is a bunch of rich people that don't even listen to her. They're just like talking about oil prices and stuff like that, <laughs> which. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I just always get a kick out of it when there's just like these random ass topics mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that they're talking about. They kill the old man immediately. Um, they sexually assault everyone, including some uh, some interesting things on uh, uh, same sex love. Uh, so they <laughs> they uh, hang the three on the chandelier, which are two women who are held up there without their uh, with their their uh, tops not on uh, and a guy uh, and they end up killing a kid and then they uh, kill everyone in the chandelier and then they escape yep um, so that's pretty much the sequence lasts like 20 minutes uh, it's definitely the most action we get in the whole film uh, definitely also what makes the film pretty notorious uh, what did you make of the sequence I thought that uh this is another one, another one where like class kind of came in, right? Because they come in this rich people's house. Because I mean they were wealthy. Uh, the the, the uh, Julia was like, "Oh, you guys, you know, you guys are wealthy, so that means that you're, you know, very open minded." And that's uh, when they sexually assault the man along with the two women. I thought that was weird. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> Like, I'm like, is this character an idiot or, you know, did he just wanted to rape a man? Uh, I was confused. I, um, I, I think it could very well be both. I don't know if that question is ever permanently answered here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although, besides, like, yeah, no, it was... It was a weird detour. Uh, I do agree that it's the most action. Uh, I think the scene, the scene really is there to make, to show you how irredeemable he is. And how toxic he is as a person, you know? Uh, because before that, you could still imagine like, okay, well, he, they're going to kidnap this woman. He's kind of an asshole, but... But you know they might kill the, they might kill her boyfriend, but that that'll be it. And then all of a sudden you have them just like raping this entire family, everyone except for the child, and the old man who they already killed, and the old man who they were already killed, and uh, then you're like, yeah, I, no, there's there's no redeemable thing about this guy, and neither of the other two guys. And maybe yeah. it's the, what maybe it's the drug that they're taking, although still no right yeah, I don't know what that drug was uh, i I was curious amphetamine probably sounds about right um but yeah, it's like the friend that shows the most remorse um carmine uh becomes a complete shit too when he ends up taking the drug too I mean he kills the boyfriend and seems to be smiling about it. And doesn't seem to have any issue uh, assaulting that whole family. And only after the drug wears off does he show any remorse. Um, so could, could it be MDMA? Doesn't MDMA make you do stupid shit? <laughs> uh, it could be. I mean, something in pill form, too. Um, well, wait, no. It's, it, wait, is MDMA... Oh, that's 
Is it MDMA is meth? No, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, this, we, these we, are the deep dives you get when you come to the film to film podcast. What drugs <laughs> were they taking in Almost Human? You get some good legally deep dives and <laughs> what drugs were they taking? Um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, let's let's just go with MDMA. That sounds right. I'm just going to say that sounds right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, this sequence is interesting because it sets up like they're just going to kidnap her. It's going to be a short sequence. You'd think that'd be over pretty fast. You're right. The tension you'd think would come from are they going to kill the boyfriend or not? Um, or are they going to take him in too? Um, mm-hmm. But they just end up killing uh, them. And then it's like the girl gets away and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, and then it just escalates and escalates um, to uh, a kid dying. And I think that's like, I think this sequence is just like, it's it's probably the most immersive part of the film where you're just curious about what's going to happen next, um, and you, and uh, yeah, um, I think it's uh, really effective. It's it's the closest to a horror film. Like if if you were right. to say, you know, going to that whole comparison with other, with uh, home invasions. I mean, this was it. It definitely took that left turn, and because it's also the first time where it's instead of being set on the detective. Or uh, Julio, it's that it's centered on Mary Lou and this family or party or whatever it is. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it was a family. It might have been a party, but but you know, it centers in in this party where they're like all just chill, talking about oil, as you were mentioning, or petroleum. And then you know these crazy people with machine gun comes come in and do horrible things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, another scene I wanted to highlight was the one where he kills his girlfriend and puts the car into the water. I just mm-hmm. thought that was a well done sequence. It's a lot shorter than the one we just talked about. The lake mm-hmm. looks really serene, um, and sort of that contrast of just like the car, him pressing, like him revealing to her that he did this evil thing and mm-hmm. him sort of just playing around with words and she thinks she, uh, he's kidding and it ends with him like sort of slamming on the gas into her uh, just drowning to death in, in the water. I just think that sequence is well done and, and it's another, despite it coming after that kidnapping, it's still pretty shocking to watch uh, in yeah. my opinion. Although I have a question for you because mm-hmm. before he says that he's going to take her to the lake he asked her, like, if if I had killed people, what would you do? And she was like, oh, I would report you to the police right away. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to take you to the lake. Do you think, had she said, like, oh, no, no, I'll, I'll still be with you, uh, like, all the way to the end, do you think he would have done that? I don't, actually. I think he's just that kind of guy. What do you think? I think he might not have killed her. Yeah. But she but it, was, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, she was a better person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously she thought he was kidding. She thought it was a total hypothetical, but it was not actually a hypothetical at all. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I, and then the last couple things um, are the drop-off, which is very quiet and very dark um, in contrast where he ends mm-hmm. up killing his hostage and collaborators and mm-hmm. then rushes back to Mahone for his alibi 
and then the ending uh, where Inspector Grandi kills him. I thought both of those sequences were pretty well done, but for me, a lot of the highlights of this film come in the first half. Yeah, and no, I, I agree. Although I do say I, I do think that the alibi part of the movie was very clever. Yeah, um, and that. Did you have any scenes you wanted to highlight um, before I jump into something else? Well, the Mahoney alibi that that actually okay because I you know like he escapes and and I'm wondering all right, well they're gonna catch him soon, and then the next scene is you know Mahoney and his and his gang just beating the crap out of him and I'm like. Why did he go there? And then, I, and then you know, the, the detective arrives, and you're like, "Oh shit! Okay, that's pretty smart." Like, yeah, the the guy the guy has a good criminal, crim, like he's a good criminal mastermind. Yeah, he's clever. He's it's not like he's a complete dumbass. Like he certainly has a huge amount of character flaws, but there's some stuff he comes up with that uh, is actually smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, his whole scheme of it was basically just to kidnap someone. But instead of returning the person, you just kill the hostage, which is smart, but it's also really fucked up. <laughs> right. But I mean, that, and the, but the detectives knew that that was going to happen. Yeah. Well, speaking of a move that, in my opinion, was not very dumb, I want to go back real fast for a quick aside to uh, the tennis scene where the three of them are just like watching her play, <laughs> which is just really strange. Uh, it's like, who are these three random dudes that they could probably tell are, are lower class watching these upper class people play tennis? And the other thing is, uh, it's, it, well, it's just like, why did they do that? There's no, there's no reason why they should have. Um, but I guess the reason would probably be to just show that they can get away with doing stuff like that and mm -hmm. the criminal justice system doesn't punish them despite making it, you know, I mean, that's something that you could bring up in court, um, to show that they uh, are associated with Mary Lou. Um, right. But uh, yeah, the other thing I wanted to say is she is terrible at tennis. Oh my God. I don't think <laughs> I've ever seen worse tennis in a film. She just like hits it and it goes like completely sideways. It's like, what game are you playing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I just get a real kick out of how bad she is at tennis too. I was wondering if she was like taking a tennis lesson because I think, I feel like there was someone like kind of telling her instructions. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been, but uh, uh, that might have been her first lesson because she was not good. All right, uh, Mr. Federer. Uh. <laughs> uh, no, this is like, this is like, she should have been like, if she was really upper class, she would have been taking tennis lessons from when she was like five or something. Mm. Well, maybe she was doing, you know, polo before. Okay. Well, then they should have showed her doing polo. True, true. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, uh, as you said, I think there's... Uh, the other thing I, I really noticed this time watching it that I don't think I've noticed in the past is the writing, I think, and the way it's potted is unusually good for this genre. And there's a little more complexities than you normally expect. It was done... Uh, the writing was done by Ernesto Gastaldi, who directed a lot of, or wrote a lot of films. He especially did a lot of Jello films, which can be quite complex in terms of uh, the plot. Uh, mm. A couple things that we've already talked about, uh, Saki going to the cops. Uh, I thought that was a clever scene to sort of write in there um, to where he sort of preempts the police rather than them coming to him, as well as the one that you mentioned where he sort of establishes his al alibi by going to Mahone. 
Um, and uh, I just think that um, it's unusually good uh, for the Plitioteski drama where you, sometimes you get the feeling that they're just like, they uh, write these things in about 10 hours and just uh, send it to production immediately. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. This this definitely was one of the more... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, more layered movies uh, it wasn't just like you know going from step, from A to B to C to D like this definitely had uh, a lot of back and forth a lot of uh, movements and thought from the characters and that that, that is 100% from the uh, from good writing right um, the conversation with the drug dealers also seemed to be talking about like in like sort of uh, metaphors, uh, which I thought was also interesting. Uh, there's also a couple good quotes in there. Um, I thought it was kind of uh, funny when he's talking about uh, telling uh, Mary Lou to write the letter. And he's talking about, no, he's like, all right, tell your father that if he, he doesn't pay, we'll assault you. No, he, he'll think we're scum. Uh, we'll put you in the toilet bowl and pull the chain. I'm like, what? <laughs> How does this make him think you're less of a scum? So. I'm not sure. There's, you're always not sure how much of this is like lost in translation, and they're always making these films to be dubbed as well. So I think there's usually not very much clever dialogue put in there, but I thought there was a couple um, things in here that really did stand out compared to some of the other films we've seen. I agree. And, and, and now that you mentioned the, the dialogue in general, like, I'll, yeah, when you think about it, Italian movies, and the fact that they were made for you know, they were they were made with the intent to be exported everywhere, especially to into the United States. Yeah, they definitely didn't work too much on dialogue in other in other movies. I mean, even even in the you know your classic spaghetti westerns, um, uh, the ones with Clint Eastwood, like the dialogue is almost non-existent in those ones. Yeah, it's very spare. It's very minimal. Um... Which is one reason I think those work. And, you know, a lot of people don't even realize those films were dubbed. Right. Um, so, uh, it is interesting, but you're right. Uh, it's like, and I think if I remember right, a lot of those spaghetti westerns, it's like the more clever lines. It's like uh, the actors themselves come up with them rather than, like, uh, the director or it being written. Yeah. So, yeah, this is probably the, one of the more impressive... Uh... Uh, dialogues in uh, in an Italian movie from the seventies. All right, so a um, couple last questions that we'll round off on. Um, uh, who won the film for you? Oh, like uh, whether it's a writer, director, etc. Actor. Um, this is such a weird question to me because films are are, are such a collaboration. Uh, a co yeah. collaboration. So. I mean, we we just highlighted you know the the writing in this movie in comparison to other Italian films. So you know we could we could go there. We could say the writer, but the acting also was very good. So between those two, yeah, for me I would go with uh, Tomas Millian. Um, I just think he's really good in this film. Uh, I think he is uh, the thing that I will remember about this film. The writing also would be probably my second place. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and, uh, this is also something I'm springing on you. How would you rate this film 1 to 10? Hmm. Yes. 7? 6? 7? Okay. 
right. I you? give this an eight. Uh, I think it's solid. Uh, I've come to like it uh, the more I've seen it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's entertaining. It's unique. The lead character uh, makes it set apart. Definitely, it's probably the best performance or my favorite performance of, of all of the films we've watched so far. Um, and there's been a couple other good ones, but uh, this is definitely highly memorable. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, probably in the seven. Now that you, you you convinced me for a solid seven, which is okay. good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like uh, uh, that's solid. Okay. All right. Well, um, any last thoughts on this film before we wrap? Uh, no, no, not right now. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in to the Film to Film podcast. You can follow us on the Twitter at ZA Film to Film. Uh, you can send us an email at ZAFilmToFilm at gmail.com. Uh, make sure that if you enjoy this and you want to hear, we are just doing one more Poliziotesky, but I promise you we will see some more Italian films. So if that is your jam, definitely make sure to subscribe on uh, iTunes or Spotify or however you listen to your podcast. Um, and uh, we will uh, see you all next time. Uh, yeah, see you next time.